0: And today I have the amazing guest, Magic Barclay. And let me just read a little bit of Magic's bio right here. Magic has been a single mother of two for the past 10 years. In that time, stress and the roller coaster of life has seen her face her mortality a number of times. That sounds like (laughs) quite the story. A cancer, Lyme disease, stroke, diabetes, heart attack, and hypoxia survivor magic has seen how treating root cause of any illness gives you the tools to acquire a level of health you only dreamed possible. Preach sister. <laughs> I totally agree with you there. Magic is a mole toxicity master practitioner, an expert in the PNEI as in psycho neuro endoimmunia immunology of trauma, an advanced immune practitioner, and an advanced practitioner in innate immunity and functional health solutions. Magic is also a practitioner of lymphatic mojo and CMLD, complex manual lymphatic drainage. Magic is the author of four books and a sought-after speaker. Magic's hobbies include hiking in the Australian bush, spending times growing organic food for her family, and wildlife rescue. Magic is also the host of A Magical Life, Health, Wealth, and Weight Loss. Magic, welcome. I'm just so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. It's really great being here. Well, and the reason that I wanted to bring you here, but reading your amazing bio, I'm like, oh my God, we have to talk about this and we have to talk about this because um, I'm also a Lyme survivor. And uh, while I've and I've been like this close <laughs> to diabetes for many years, I have very, I'm very, very sensitive to, to um to sugar. Fortunately, I've managed to uh, sort of like keep dodging that bullet. But I I really I'm like, just reading all the things you've been through, it seems like so many empaths do go through a lot of this kind of stuff. But the reason that I brought you, I I was like, I really wanted to bring you on was something you wrote to me when you reached out to say, hey, I'd love to be on your show. You wrote, I am an empath and I found it challenging at first to receive energy from clients without holding on to it. And then the magic words I've learned a lot over the years. But I would really love to start there about you as uh, obviously a master healer somebody with an incredible amount of knowledge and information, but also what it means or what it has been for you to be a highly sensitive, empathic person, picking up the energy of the people that you are trying to serve.
1: Sure. Well, when I used to have my brick and mortar clinics open in Melbourne, in Australia, I would be in clinic all day and on the drive home. And I need to let your listeners know, one of my clinics was an hour and a half drive from my home. So on the drive home, I would be feeling everything that I'd been treating the clients for. So, you know, my lymph would block up, I'd be all stuffy in the nose, I'd be feeling sick and nauseous, I'd get a rash, I'd be scratching all the way up the freeway. And, you know, it took me a little while to realise I was taking on their energy. So they were leaving the clinic feeling fantastic. I was leaving the clinic with a thousand symptoms. So Mm, mm. I thought, no, no, this has to stop. So I really had to start grounding myself. I increased the amount of essential oils I was using on them so that that was a barrier to any uh, microbes, any pathogens that were coming to me. Uh, I used crystals in my cast. It sounds a bit woo-woo, probably not to your listeners. Not to my
0: listeners. No, no. to some people it
1: does. So I would have a little bag of crystals in the car. In fact, it still lives in my car now Mm -hmm. and uh, only comes out for full moon cleansing now. So I found that I had to do these things to protect myself because I couldn't stop taking the energy from them because that's part of the treatment, but I had to stop taking it on to myself.
0: Yes. 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 Well, and what a big difference. You're just you're just speaking about something that's so incredibly important for all of us who are empaths who choose the path of healer. Yes, we do need to engage with the energy and process the energy, but there's a really big difference between doing our work as healers and absorbing and taking on their energy. And so, I'm curious like did you were you able to recognize at the point where you started to be able to recognize that you were that you were actually taking it on and carrying it, was there a point of sort of awareness and transition for you where you started to notice when you were actually doing things that were taking it on or absorbing it?
1: Yeah, and you know I'm glad you asked that question. It sounds weird, but it was pretty much right on the halfway mark of any consultation. So the first half was like they were releasing. I was storing it up and then the second half I was taking it on. So I had to halfway, that's when I worked out halfway, I put more essential oils on my hands. You know, I I have some around my neck. So I would stop halfway through a consultation and I, I have a wearable that I often wear. I'm not wearing it today. I'm wearing a Tesla plate, but I would top up my wearable with essential oils halfway, mm, so mm-hmm. that way I wasn't inhaling anything, I wasn't taking it in through my hands. and you know that was kind of a game changer for my treatment.
0: Mm, mm. I don't know if you are were ever a star- first generation Star Trek fan there there was an well, well, there was an episode I always talk about this, but there was an episode in the first generation of Star Trek called "The Empath." Where basically Kirk, Spock, and McCoy end up on this planet and they are with sort of the bad guy aliens experimenting. And there's this empath whose name happens to be Jem, which ironically is my or my initials. And basically she just goes over and she like lays hands on the wounded crew members and she takes on all their pain. And suddenly it's like the bruises go from like, you know, Spock or McCoy's face to her face and then she just crumbles in a heap. For me, that was the very first exposure I had to what it means to be an energy healer. Like that's what I thought you were supposed to do was just like be this siphon that just takes everything off of people and somehow like we're just going to transmute it for them. So I don't know like if like how you learned to be a healer, but that was certainly my very first exposure to healing.
1: I was lucky to learn to be a healer from my grandparents. So my grandfather was a compounding pharmacist and my grandmother was just a grandmother back then in the 70s and 80s. And so, you know, she would go to her little kitchen garden and have herbs there. She would put aloes straight on me if I burnt myself. You know, I remember once falling over and I was an accident-prone child, so I was always falling over. My knees now at 50 tell the tale of someone that, didn't didn't handle gravity too well as a child, <laughs> let's put it that way. And I remember her actually grabbing dirt at one point and putting that on one of my knee scrapes. Mm-hmm. And I said, Nana, aren't we supposed to be cleaning this? You know, aren't we supposed to be disinfecting it? And she said, the skin isn't broken, it's going to bruise. You need the minerals from the soil. And I went, Oh, okay. <laughs> And so, you know, that was my, luckily my first exposure to true healing, and that was you need minerals. It's in Mm. the dirt. Let's Mm. do that. Mm. You know, she would also use, as I said, herbs. Essential oils weren't a thing back then. Right, right. But she would make tinctures and salves, and, you know, before she would reach for the Panadol, she would say, let's try this. Unfortunately, she also taught me food was great. So mm-hmm. I ended up becoming big just like her. But uh, you know, it's probably better than the big farmer stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I think that there's such a, you know, while there are, I have run into some very um very slender, very thin empaths. It seems to me that for many of us. Food is a way to create a certain amount of a buffer between us and all of the other energy that's going on in the world around us. So I think, you know, it seems like um, body size and weight can definitely go hand in hand with being highly sensitive and empathic. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I see it almost as an armor. Yes. Like I put my weight on to protect myself from things. Yes, yes. And I know that's a key part in my weight gain. Mm Mm-hmm. So now I try and just change the situation, mm-hmm. not be in situations that I need protection from. Right. And that was, I guess, a, a coming of age thing in my 40s leading into 50s that, you know, it took me that long to work it out. I don't need to protect myself. I just need to not be in that situation.
0: Oh, words of wisdom. I don't need to protect myself. I just don't need to be in that situation. And Yeah, I I was talking earlier with a client about boundaries today, and they were talking about how, you know, wishing that they some of the people that would show up in their life would be respectful of boundaries. And I was saying, you know, the thing is, you have to say no to the people who disrespect boundaries, because, you know, it's sort of like, yes, we can attract the people who respect boundaries. But one of the first steps is also not tolerating the stuff that is not safe and pretty much saying, yeah, no, not going to happen here.
1: Yeah, we just actually a couple of days ago had a visitor to our home who hasn't been here for, I want to say, about 10 or 11 months, probably even more, and they're actually a family member. And the reason they haven't been in our home was I drew that line. If you can't be respectful of the way I run my family, the way I run my home, the way I run my business, then you can't be in my home. And we only really let this person in. I guess as a final goodbye, we're not planning on seeing much of them. So it was kind of just to compensate the fact that we're cutting ties with your negativity, your energy, your issues, because your issues are your issues, they're not ours. Mm -hmm. So my children and I all had a meeting and we said, we will invite this person over, invite them into our home, our haven, our sanctuary, but there's a line. Yes. and there's a time limit. So we actually sent them an invite officially, and they're a very close family member. So it sounds a little bit callous. But we sent them an invite saying, I have you on my calendar from this time to this time. And we let the boundaries be very, very clear.
0: Very and clear. when the time
1: was up, my sons came into the room and said, calendar time's up, you've got something else on. So that was great. It took my my need to be sensitive for someone else that doesn't feel the same about me, it took that need out because it was a calendar time, my boys knew my diary, and so they kept me accountable because yeah. I would have been all wishy-washy at the time and not wanted to kick this person out So I don't want right. them to feel bad, right? even though right. they make me feel bad. Right, right. So my, boy, my boys are not empaths, thank goodness. So, you know, they can go, look, it's a diary, it's a calendar, we have a time here you're at
0: <laughs> well and i find i've had you know i was having this conversation about sort of the di- the difference between like logistics and sort of some you know sort of the strategic side of our boundaries versus like the energetic side of our boundaries and sometimes when we are waffling around our energetic or emotional boundaries it's really really helpful to have very clear clearly defined boundaries when with our, you know, just like, yeah, this isn't the calendar. This is the way it is. This is what's going to happen. I actually make a suggestion with around holidays is that it's really helpful, even if you're going to go to an event or a party to think about your entry time and your exit time and know when you're planning to get away, like what, how much time can you tolerate being there? And when are you going to leave? And then think backwards, maybe a half hour so that you can start saying your goodbyes so that you're, you know, you're making that exit. But I think because the emotions get so wonky for a lot of us, it can be really, you know, it's almost like we have to set those, those strategies up in advance in order to maintain them. But I'm, I'm, as I'm hearing you, I'm like not callous at all. That sounds like just being a total empath, badass, like rock star behavior here. So go you.
1: Thank you. And just on the, uh, you know, going to parties or events or holidays, uh, this is not a plug for Google because, you know, why would I do that? But I do love the Google calendar on my phone. Yes. And it sets reminders at half an hour before something and 10 minutes before something. So I actually put my exit of a dinner or a party or something in as a diarized thing. So at the half hour I get. A buzz on my in my pocket and so I start saying goodbyes and at 10 minutes gives me a, a hurry up like mm. it says exit party in my diary. I have to hurry that up. So you know sometimes we just have to be really practical as empaths because otherwise um speaking of myself the touchy feelingness can just
0: take over. Completely take over. Well and something that I've been I've been talking about lately and really realizing is that You know, we talk about how as empaths, we pick up the energy, the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations, the pain, all the things that are going on in the world around us and with the people. But what I've been recently realizing is that not only do we pick up all of that, but we pick up on people's will. And if you have people who have a desire and a will that they want something from us, we can get so totally lost once we're in that sort of emotional soup, but especially if we've got somebody who's exerting an intention or a desire that where they want us to override our own boundaries, we can, it can get really easy to lose our sense of boundary once we're around somebody with that kind of, enter, that, that willful energy that's trying to get us to do things.
1: Very much so. And, uh, you know, so we have to be really aware of that. Yes. We have to be really aware, I guess, of our own boundaries. And so that's, you know, coming back to your original question, that's something I've had to learn. Yes. something I've had to say, look, as much as this doesn't feel great to me, it kind of feels a bit janky to have to put those boundaries in. They're for my own safety, Mm -hmm. whether it be in clinic, whether it be at a party, whether it be with a family member, whether it be with my own kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and ultimately, it's not just for our own safety, I honestly believe that it's for everybody else's safety as well. Because if we, you know, once we sort of tip over the edge and start getting intoxicated by all the negative energy, then we're not doing any good to anybody anymore. We're just, you know, Like I think we add to the, if we're not healthy, boundaried and clean as empaths, then what we are doing is we're amplifying the distress in the world. We're not not making a difference in a good way.
1: Well, something I actually found was when my bucket of other people's energy gets too full, Mm -hmm. it's almost like I switch my evil switch on and Mm. I start spewing it back out at people. So I know when I get completely overwhelmed, I can, someone can ask me a simple question and I'll almost bite their head off because that energy has to come out of me. And I recently was texting a very close friend and she said, you know, why are you taking yourself off all of our messenger chat groups? And I said, because I can't deal with it. These people aren't there for me. I'm taking all their energy. And before long, if I stay in these groups, someone's going to see me type a message that no one wants to see. Yeah. So it's probably just better. I come off these groups and don't use my phone for that. I use it for things that help me rather than hinder me. And so that's something I had to learn was, you know, take yourself out of the situation because I can become the energy monster Mm -hmm. and I don't want that to happen. Mm
0: -mm, mm -mm. I love the fact that you can acknowledge that, that you are recognizing that you can become the energy monster, because I think that there are times Where, as empaths, we tend to sort of regard ourselves as being all sweetness and light and all like kind of kind and loving and, you know, like not having a mean bone in our body. And the truth is that if we get pushed to a certain extent, even if it means we're just picking up on the snark that's coming from other people and then dishing it back out there, we definitely have that capacity.
1: Well, definitely as empaths, taking people's energy on has two pathways because we're like a pressure cooker. It can only get to a certain pressure inside us. So we can either internalise that pressure and we become extremely unwell, autoimmunes, switch gene mutations, which we'll talk about in a moment, susceptibility to pathogens, or we can try and short-term reroute that energy by being the energy monster and Mm -hmm. spewing it back out at people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's so pressurized that something that comes to us at maybe level two energy goes out at level 10. Mm. So that's where we, as empaths, have to see we're not all sweetness and light. Right. And if we try and be sweetness and light forever, we're actually harming ourselves because that's when we take the sickness pathway.
0: Yes. And clearly, you really had that lesson. I mean, Lyme disease cancer, diabetes, and hypoxia, and a stroke. I mean, oh, my goodness. Like, and here you are. What a miracle.
1: Exactly. But, you know, I've learned, and this is why I can say there's these two pathways. Yeah. In the earlier days, I didn't allow that energy to escape
0: Mm. because I
1: didn't want to harm someone else. Mm -mm. I didn't want to say something. I didn't want to do something. I wanted to be sweetness and light, and I got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. Now I'm aware of how I can dish that energy back out, and in a millisecond I can make someone crumble to their knees. That's not how I want to behave. So I find healthier things to dish the energy out. I go outside gardening. Sometimes I feel sorry for the soil, something that could take a very simple dig with the shovel And I'm putting every amount of my energy into it. And I've, you know, almost hit the earth's core in one shovel strike because it has to come out of me. So you really have to find healthier ways to expend it. Yes. You know, whether it be chopping wood and it has to be something like this. Can't just be going for a walk or going to the gym or whatever. It can't be passive. Mm-hmm. has to be something really aggressive and active because you have to really shape that energy out.
2: Mm-hmm. So whether it's
1: mm-hmm. digging, chopping wood, hitting a tennis ball, you know, from a, a machine that spits the balls, I don't know what that's called, but anyway. Yeah. yeah and you smash it across the, the court. You don't just hit it, you smash it. You smash it. You have it. to do yeah. these
0: things. Yeah. You just reminded me of so... Many years ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was ending a relationship and I um, I was doing very woo thing of burying some stuff in the ground. But I had gone up to this area and I had I had my father's old like Korean War like um, like like folding shovel military shovel but the soil I was in had large pieces of rock and shale and I was just so like pissed off that I was just smashing through like I was literally breaking rocks with my shovel I was just so full of like I had to move it and as you were describing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've absolutely done that where it's like I was just releasing all this energy into the earth. And I was like literally breaking rocks up with my shovel. And I never thought about that part of it. But I'm a fan of um. also I don't know if you've ever done the thing of like going and buying really, really cheap plates or getting recycling glass or something like jars and things and just finding, you know, with safety goggles on, finding a safe place and just smashing plates and smashing glass. That's uh that's one I really love for letting go of a lot of that kind of extra stress.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Look, I actually love going axe throwing. So this sounds quite strange. But uh I went with my kids once and I just loved it and so we've been a few times. So when I feel like everything's just too much i say to the boys let's go to the axe throwing because i just need to throw you know this this hatchet (laughs) i just have to do it
0: yeah it's funny i have a friend um interestingly the friend that i was mentioning to you off 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 the recording who is recently struggling with mold um actually had just recently went axe throwing and really enjoyed it and I have to say I have not yet done ask, axe throwing but it sounds like it could be a lot of fun so yeah it is yeah well and I really love I just want to sort of pull back out just the piece that you're talking about is that you know and this is something that I think is so like what a jewel of wisdom every single everybody who's listening you guys listen to this piece that magic is basically saying you know, as empaths were absorbing the energy and it goes into the pressure cooker and it has two avenues that it can come out, that it can either come out through, it can either come out through our sort of amplified and sort of exponentially increased intensity and rage, or it can come, it, or we can implode with it and we can get sicker and sicker. Obviously, ultimately, we want to stop doing the things that cause us to absorb all of this stuff and make different choices. But there is that sort of transition period. So um, I'd love to hear more about just sort of that journey from for you, the journey from like your body imploding on you to wellness.
1: Yeah, well, what a journey it's been. (laughs) It's uh, been quite a learning curve. So I guess it comes down to the systems of the body. So there's 13 systems of the body in total, and they all work interconnectedly. So no system works alone. And unfortunately, some of those systems will store trauma. So they'll store energy and they'll store trauma. In fact, at least half of them will do that. Mm -hmm. And we don't see this in a medical situation because they don't address energy. So, you know, in particular, we're looking at the lymphatic system, which holds waste, well, that also holds wasteful energy. So any negativity, any toxins of any sort is stored in the lymph. We see that with, you know, a few systems that work with the liver. Well, we know the liver holds anger, fear, envy, resentment, and that doesn't have to be our own. So you know, some of the energy that we store in the organs is actually something we're born with.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: So there's there's a great graphic going around it. It's, you know, a lady who's pregnant and the fetus is there and you see the pregnancy and, you know, it says the the fetus holds her own trauma, her own energy. She holds the mother's, you know, the mother came from an egg from her mother. So it was handed on, and this is something I realised through my own journey, that, you know, in my childhood I was never happy.
2: Mm-hmm. Just
1: You know, even when things were great, and I didn't have a great childhood, but on the few days that it was great, I still didn't feel good. That wasn't my stuff. That mm-hmm. was my mothers and fathers. That was my grandparents. You know, they came from a war situation in the early 1900s, So you know, and then their parents, and so all this generational trauma was handed down. So my liver has struggled pretty much since my childhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, children aren't born completely with their own issues; they're born with other people's. Right. So was the anger that of my parents because they were unhappy before I was born? Was that anger that of the fear? that of my grandparents who had to flee as babies yes. from their homeland. Yes. You know, this is something I had to look at. So in medicine, these body systems, as I said, they never work alone. When one falls down, another one picks it up. And this is where we see autoimmune happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, autoimmune is not the cause. It's Mm-mm. the end condition.
0: Exactly. It's the symptom.
1: Exactly. So yes. oh, it's, it's the collection of numerous symptoms. Right, right. So we have to look at what triggered that first. Was it a pathogen? Was it, you know, toxic thoughts? Was it someone else's trauma? Was it your trauma? You know, was it an imbalance somewhere? What caused that imbalance? Because the immune system is really the big guy. And yeah. the immune has to say, well, nothing else worked. Every other system's giving me this feedback. So now I'm just going to shut you down because mm. you're not listening. You're not stopping. You're not taking yourself out of the situation. You're not, and I'm not saying this is the client's fault. Modern medicine says that. Right. I don't say that. <laughs> it's no. never your fault. It's a reaction to something that's happened. Absolutely. You haven't asked for it. I need to let you know that. And as empaths, sometimes we think, you know, we we asked for that. We took that on. No, we didn't. Mm-hmm. It's something that happened. Fact not thought.
0: Well, and I find that the thing is, as you were describing all the different factors that in my work as a healer, I find that so often it's not just one thing. It's like multifactorial. You've got the inherited, you've got the inherited legacy of the epigenetic trauma and the, you know, gene mutations and things that are coming through. And, you know, that, that meme that you were talking about, it, you know, it's like, our mother's ovaries are inside of our grandmother. Our The egg that we were formed from was in our grandmother's body. Like, you know, it's like we were there in our grandmother's body. Part, at least half of us was there, you know. And so just, you know, but it's just, there's so many different factors that contribute. And what I find over and over and over again is that part of it is that it's multifactorial. It's not just like one thing happened and that's why we're here. It's like so often it is so many different pieces that all are contributing to why we're experiencing what we're experiencing.
1: Totally. So this is why in medicine, we can't just use a blanket approach and say we treat the symptom because that's not fixing anything. Well, you know, and, that's not fixing what happened a hundred years ago for my grandparents.
0: No. Well, and it's like I—I I mean, the absurdity of like the whole idea of of using um immune suppressants with autoimmune diseases. It's like, I mean, from my perspective, I've always sort of had this thought of like I see autoimmune diseases as like the symptoms of like so somebody has lupus, somebody has thyroid disease, somebody has you know, diabetes, but the, but the way I look at it is like autoimmune is what it's really about. And it manifests in different ways for different bodies, depending on vulnerability and weakness. But the thing is what the way I look at it is like, it's like a body that is in such a state of distress that it's gone red alert. And now it's just attacking itself. And my husband used to play this video game called Bioshock. And there's this sections where like there would be these turrets. And it's like, if you walked into certain rooms, like the alarm system would just start shooting randomly at absolutely everything. And that's always been the image that I've had is that it's like our bodies become these incredibly overactive, oversensitive alarm systems. And it takes nothing for our system to be in on red alert. And, you know, and I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. like. You know, but it just it becomes this incredible cascade where it just keeps going and going and going.
1: Well, it's actually a little bit more simple than that. So the body never wants to harm you. It mm. never ever wants you to be unsafe. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm saying all the time. So what we see as the body attacking itself, it's actually looking for other things. So, the immune system is looking for undigested proteins, which Mm -hmm. can come through leaky gut, leaky brain, leaky skin, leaky barriers, which are part of your innate immune system. So, the immune system you're born with. And so, it's seeking out these proteins. It's also seeking out pathogens. Now, viral cells do not have a fatty coating, for example, right? So, they're very easy for our immune system to see and destroy. So, what they do, because they want to survive as well in the host, which is us, is they steal the cholesterol that wraps around our nerves, the lipids. And so they steal that, and that's called the myelin sheath around the nerves, to wrap themselves in because otherwise our immune system would kill them off. So this is what our immune system is trying to do, is find these uncoated cells and destroy them unfortunately then we start getting pain and things like fibromyalgia and as empaths I know that's quite a common thing yes as is chronic fatigue yes and the reason is because our nerves don't have the protective coating anymore wow so what I do now is I say well I'm looking for root cause is this an unaddressed viral cell Mm -hmm. is this a fungal issue is this a bacterial issue like what is the cause of this and so by looking at where trauma is stored looking at the pnei which is the psychoneuroendoimmunology of trauma so that's a common link from our thoughts and feelings not just ours but those that we've inherited through the neural system through the endocrine system into the immune system for a reaction hence autoimmune you know i have to look at where is this coming from yeah. Is this pathogenic? Is it psych- psycho origins, or you know, what is the deal going on here? So you know, it's a bit of a fallacy that the body is attacking itself. It's mm. it's easy for us to think that, yes. but our body wants us to be safe.
0: Yes, and and so I love I love that distinction that it's the body is still the body is trying to find the problem. And unfortunately, in within, you know, in that process, the body, you know, parts of our body get affected by it. But I'm also wondering, as you're speaking about the relationship to cholesterol, which I mean, I imagine you and I could have an entire episode just on cholesterol. Because I know I know from some of the things that I've read, it's like for people to associate cholesterol with the cause of heart disease is like equating the fire truck to causing the fire, that cholesterol is the body's attempt to reconcile, not is not as the problem. But I'm wondering what the correlation between highly sensitive and empathic and possibly even the production of excessive cholesterol is in the body. Like I just, I I come from a long line of, Highly sensitive, high strung, empathic, world class awfulizers who also happen to have very high, like genetically very high cholesterol, regardless of diet. So, I, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking, "Wow, is cholesterol yet another symptom of being an empath?" Quite possibly, yeah. but
1: you know, something that is a symptom of being an empath, and I've seen this a lot in practice. You know, the more. Empathetic people, the healers, the the carers. I'm seeing a lot of gene mutation. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, we were talking a little bit off-air about MTHFR. Yes. And I have the homozygous mutation, as do my children, and I know quite a few empaths that do. So, you know, what is this? This is a liver pathway switching off. So there are six liver pathways. One is methylation. It turns certain compounds into bioactive forms of the compounds so it methylates them. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: We can't do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) or we can't do that properly. And so I'm actually seeing a lot of correlation between empaths and the MTHFR gene mutation as well as the COMT gene mutation. And so what does this mean? It means that we can't methylate B vitamins in particular Right. Or iron. Right. Or, well, there's a few Orphalic things. Or folic acid. Yeah. Yeah. If, but yeah. These are things that we need for our energy. Right. 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 So, right. someone with MTHFR, you know, when they're not feeling great because they don't just take a little dip in energy. It's almost like they drop off.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so, when, I, when I first realized I had the um, C677T, like, um, homozygous like, you know, coming from both sides of the uh, both both sides of the fence. I, I stopped using I'd been taking a sublingual B vitamin that had cyanocobalamin and folic acid in it every single day. And within three days of stopping taking this, this, this supplement that I thought was supposed to be good for me, I felt like a new person because I was not gumming up my receptors with stuff that my body could not process anymore. And it was an amazing difference. But I'm so excited that you're talking about MTHFR because this is, I think is such an, it's such, I have intuitively sensed, but couldn't necessarily correlate. So I'm loving that you are validating my sense of it because if so far anecdotally, pretty much all the empaths I've talked to, or many of the empaths I've talked to do have this gene mutation, it's wonderful to hear you saying, yep, this is another part of it.
1: Yeah, so scientifically, you know, I mentioned the liver. The -hmm. liver has to process everything, every thought, every feeling, every reaction, every chemical, every internal chemical, every internal chemical process. So everything goes through our liver. Our blood every single day goes through our liver. Nothing is not processed by the liver. Where does MTHFR occur? It's a liver issue. So when we're as empaths taking someone else's stuff on, you know be it their energy, be it their thought patterns, be it their their illness markers, whatever our liver has to process that. Now if this switch of this gene has flicked off, how are we going to process that properly? So to all the empaths listening, if you are particularly as I am attracted to the color green, that is a color of the liver. Mm. So, is yellow. So, we have to look at what colors are we attracted to? What kind of foods are we attracted to? You know, what thought processes occur often after each session with a client? What are you thinking? What are you telling yourself? Because that's all going through your liver.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: do you have right-sided unexplained pain in from your ear your neck you know your your breast your chest is your right side feeling a bit agitated do you get a stitch in your right side after seeing clients this is all your liver saying you know i've got this stuff coming in and i'm really not very happy about it so this is something we have to be very well aware of
0: Mm. Mm. um um As you're speaking, we're speaking about MTHFR, I'm wondering, are there, can you, and we can include it in the show notes, but I'm wondering if there's any resources that you might be able to share with us for like a link or something like that for MTHFR, because I'm sure like if this is a brand new piece of information for people, I imagine like, like welcome to the rabbit hole people, (laughs) you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to learn about this.
1: There is, look, on YouTube there's the MTHFR doctors and Mm. all they talk about is every facet of MTHFR and I'm often finding myself watching some of their videos going, okay, that makes sense, right? That's something I missed. So, you know, these people dedicate their lives to just MTHFR. Awesome. So, you know, on YouTube there's some really great resources there. Dr. Eric Berg also talks about MTHFR. He does great mind maps on his whiteboard in his video so he can explain it all, you know, very well. So for your listeners, you know, YouTube is a great YouTube,
0: yeah, resource. Yeah. And the MTHFR Doctors is the place that you would suggest for people to start. Yeah. But, and I will just say personally, I had used 23andMe to do um gene gene data and gene crunching. And that's how I was able to confirm that indeed I have it. And I also ran my parents' DNA and discovered that they both like I basically inherited it from both sides. So interestingly, my father has the homozygous gene mutation. My mom has the heterozygous gene mutation, but fascinatingly, my father had a much more stable immune system and was actually, you would think it was the reverse because my mother was much more delicate than my father, but my dad actually had the the, the stronger gene mutation. But I mean, we could talk about this. You know, I wanted to, one of the things that I had mentioned to you that I really would love to talk about in addition to just the impact of being highly sensitive and empathic on our bodies and our systems is mold because, and the relationship between I I have one of my dear friends, um, Carrie Mitchell, who she has been on previous seasons and everything. And Carrie and I've talked about the correlation between interestingly mold and hauntings and the fact that it's very common for there to be sort of weird psychic disturbances and mold in the same environment. So, but I would like, like, please talk to us about mold.
1: Yeah, well, there's actually uh, 47 known types of mold. Mm -hmm. So they're not all bad. We'll just say that for the the mold spores listening right now, and they are around you people. Uh, They're not all bad. Some that we know of are particularly nasty. So when you see mold, it's already been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. By the time you see it, uh it's kind of probably a bit late. It's not late. we can still treat it, but it's been there quite a while. So mold is the great survivor. it's used mm-hmm. in warfare and it's used in medicine. Many of us are allergic to it, used in medicine, so we find out we get a penicillin shot, and all of a sudden we have an allergic reaction. Guess what? You are mold toxic, so your body is going, no, don't put any more of that in me because. I'm already not coping. So what mold does is it attaches to our limbic system, so the limbic centre in our brain where most of our thoughts, feelings, emotions originate from. In fact, all of them originate from there. And so mold attacks our limbic system. Mold directly links to trauma. It either reacts to trauma or it can cause further trauma. And unfortunately, because our liver has to process everything, when we have mold toxicity, it can damage the liver as well. Mm, mm -hmm. Because it doesn't want the liver to say, get out, you're not meant to be here. Stop using those spores. Stop attacking this person's immune system. Get out. So what's it going to do? It's going to survive. Yeah. Now, the difference between mold and other pathogens. So we've got Virus, bacteria, and other fungus. They're the big three pathogens and parasites, mm-hmm. four. So they don't particularly want you to die. You're the host. You're keeping them alive. You're giving them somewhere to live. Mold doesn't care. Mold is a decomposer because once you're done, it just moves on to the next thing in line. Right. We see right. this often when we buy fruit. You know, you can have a bag of apples or a bowl of apples. One has a little bit of mold. You leave it there, guess what? The other apples are going to be moldy before very long. Yes. The first apple's not even there anymore. It's like a pile of dust. Right, right, right. So this is what mold does to us. So when we have mold toxicity, it's important to know that just leaving the physical situation isn't enough mm-hmm. because you're taking it with you. It's already in you. So we have to treat the internal environment as well as the external environment. Mm -hmm. This is where treating mould can be a little bit tricky. You know, a lot of people will bleach their walls in their bathroom or whatever, or they'll repaint or they'll even cut out a bit of plaster. Well, guess what? You've been living with that, so it's in you. Yes. They might move house. Well, you're still taking your clothes and your soft furnishings and whatever, and you, it's in you. Yeah. So we really have to treat mold at the human level as well as the physical level.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and in your experience, is so. I've got this friend who is just recently contending with the fact that she's she's up against Lyme disease and um, chronic fatigue and mold toxicity. And and now is discovering that she's living in an environment that has like a excessively high level of mold spores in her place. And of course, you know, the doctor's response is just, you're going to have to move house. Like, you know, you don't have any other options. And I'm wondering in your experience, is that always the necessary thing or are there other ways to, like, it sounds to me like there's a lot more to this than necessarily just being like pick up and move house or, you know, hire a mold remediator and pay them $40,000 to fix something.
1: Well, yes and no. So yes, she probably should leave the house, but not everyone wants to do that. And really where she's going to go to, is that going to be any better? Right. So, you know, we have this issue. So she certainly does need to fix the house. Mm -hmm. She does need to get that done. Uh, but she needs to fix within her as well, because yeah. she's in that home, breathing it in all the time. So it's in her. Yeah. And so just leaving the house, as I said, that's not really an adequate solution. Right. It's right. just taking the problem with her.
0: Right. So, so she, so basically, sort of, obviously, remediation needs to happen within the physical environment. But then the real work is also about. All of the ways that our body is already basically infected with the mold and in our system.
1: Yeah, totally. So it's yeah. shutting down her immune system. That's representing with her CFS. She won't be able to defeat the lime. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on there. So uh, yeah, definitely, she has to get the spores sorted within her.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm. So I guess as we're talking. I'm imagining that there may be some people listening to it this and that like just hitting that wall of overwhelm, just because mold is such a overwhelming thing, I think. And just when you start recognizing the, 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 the impact of it and the pervasiveness of it, is there any glimmer of hope you could offer us any kind of like first steps? Definitely. Well, when treating mold. You
1: know, I've mentioned it before, essential oils. Always use a reputable brand of essential oils. So here in Australia, we have doTERRA, which is actually mm-hmm. an American-based company. Yes. We also have Young Living. They are the only two brands here that I recommend. Mm-hmm. Always use a reputable essential oil company. Diffusing essential oils, doTERRA, you can take some of them internally as well. So these are going to be, a big step in your recovery whether it be mold whether it be from any other pathogen you know essential oils are antimicrobial so they're absolutely fantastic uh there are some like thyme and lavender that and uh rosemary clary sage mold does not like them especially Mm -mm. when they're all put together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mold just goes mmm Mm. Not so much. Thanks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I um there's a another company that's um here that's not an MLM, um, that's called Rocky Mountain Oils that I have found to have here in the United States that I find to have a pretty high quality. like I've really found the quality of their oils to be good too. And they have one blend called Purify that also has, I believe, Myrtle in it. And out uh, um and like that essential oil. I have found to be very, very helpful in terms of mold and like, just like we've had times where we've gone to a hotel and we'd walk in cause I'm mold. I, I am, amazingly, I'm substantially less mold sensitive than I was when I was younger because of a lot of the energy work that I've done. But I remember like I could, we could walk into a hotel and like, if I had that essential oil and I put some on the Kleenex and put it in the air vents, it really decreased the amount of mold like just the the toxicity in the room and that made a difference. So I'm right there with you that essential oils really can make a huge difference. So if you so do you diffuse the like so thyme, lavender, uh oregano. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. do you have a formula? Like, do you use a particular like ratio of drops or anything like that? Or No, No, I'm very haphazard with my essential
1: oils. You know, I'm not going to make it too difficult. It's like a splash here or a few drops there. Yeah. You know, I use them every day. Yeah. Obviously in practice with my clients, I'm a little bit more scientific with Mm -hmm. it. But in my home, no, there's always some oils going on. In fact, there's some right over to my side at the moment. Nice. So, yeah, you know, don't get too hung up on ratios. You know, always three to five drops in a diffuser of mm-hmm. any oil is a good kind of standard.
0: Yeah, yeah. What yeah, just what a difference those those oils can make. Uh magic, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has gone by. <laughs> like it just um, you know, it's just incredible how quickly this conversation has happened. I'm wondering as we're sort of coming towards the top of the hour in this conversation if there are any other sort of like really like burning like nuggets of truth and wisdom that you just really want to share with us. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess as an
1: empath, you know, this is the big thing I've learned. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not. Do not dismiss that feeling. You know, whether you're working in a healing modality or a consulting modality or whatever it is, or you work in a retail situation, as an empath, if something doesn't feel right, you don't have to take that client on. You just don't have to. Mm -hmm. Okay, You can say, look, I wish you all the best. Here's a bit of information. We're not the right fit to work together. Suggest someone else. Be helpful, but do not dismiss that if it doesn't feel right, that it's not. Right, right that's, right, that's probably a big thing. You know, the same thing with going to parties or socialising or anything like that. I used to force myself to be the square peg in a round hole. You used to try and shave my sides off just to fit into that round hole. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Mm-mm. You are valuable. You are here to conduct energy, to conduct ideas, to connect people, you don't have to change yourself. That is a huge life lesson.
0: That is a huge, huge life lesson and such an incredibly important lesson. It just, and, and like, I, and I really, I think that if anything, these last two and a half years of, you know, two and a half, three years with the pandemic, if there's been one thing I've noticed is that the big lesson that just keeps on coming back again and again and again is boundaries and about respecting what is our truth, as opposed to people pleasing into doing things that do not work for us. And I cannot count the number of sessions that I facilitated over the last couple of years about so-and-so wants to do this thing that is completely unrealistic and completely unreasonable. And I feel completely uncomfortable doing it, but I can't say no, because I feel like I'm obliged to say yes. And- I just, I hear, I'm just like, thank you for just these pearls of wisdom. Because I think, oh my goodness, is is it essential that we honor what is really our truth?
1: Does this feel right? Does this feel like our truth? And can we walk forward with our own truth? And for me, that's walking around without something on my face. And that's still hugging the people that I meet and, you know, shaking hands and having conversation and looking at them in their eye and thanking them for that exchange of energy, that's my truth.
0: And it's a truth where you recognize your boundaries and you're honoring your boundaries. And if there's anything that I've seen as a re- that has come of the last couple of years is that I've seen a lot of people whose boundaries had been really, really wonky because they were they were hugging people they shouldn't be hugging and they were engaging with people they shouldn't be engaging with that they weren't comfortable engaging with. And in many ways, this whole event helped people to have artificial external boundaries for things that they really, like I personally believe that the manifestation of this is all about boundaries and that it's about if you cannot set boundaries in a healthy way then you know and if you cannot internalize and, and know the wisdom of your own boundaries and know your truth then okay then we can have an external boundary setting that is happening globally um where it's like you get an excuse for having a boundary no i'm sorry i can't do this because this is not comfortable to me when the truth is that we don't want to do something and i and what i hear with you is that I think the thing that that I hear for you and with you is that you know your boundaries, you honor your boundaries, and so as a result, you can trust your instincts in a way that I think some people, where they're still really wobbly with their boundaries, it's kind of like that that barrier that you know, like that that having that external expression of the boundary is a necessary thing.
1: Definitely like even before any of this craziness started. You know, I would be like someone would invite me to something and I'd feel like I had to go. So I had to create an answer, Mm -hmm. you know. Someone would say, oh, do you want to come to this thing? And I'd go, I can't go because I don't want to. So, you know, I've developed that over the past couple of years. Obviously, you know, I'm in a lot of uh, community groups that are against what's going on, the craziness. and you know, they're always holding meetings and functions. And so I quite proudly say, I'm not coming
0: because I don't want to. Right. Right. I don't, I'm not coming because I don't want to. And I mean, what a radical and empowering thing to be able to choose that. I'm not doing this because I don't want to. And really we're all entitled to that. Like Every one of us really gets to claim that as our truth. It's like we get to choose. We get this one wild and precious life. What are we going to do with it?
1: Exactly. But I do have to let your listeners know this takes practice. Yes. Get to the level where you can say it clearly and loudly and with great energy. Start saying it in your home. Absolutely. And when someone says, Can you put this away for me? I'm not doing that because. I don't want to. I don't want to. (laughs) So, you know, it might start, and and for me it did. It started with my kids saying, oh, uh, you know, I'd say I've washed your clothes here they are to put away. Oh, can you put them away for me? No. I'm not doing that because I don't want to. So start somewhere small, roll it out, but, you know, you can roll this out with clients. You can roll it out with work colleagues, you know, the person that says, you know, in the office, look, I want to leave early. Can you just finish this paperwork up? I'm not doing it because I don't want to. Like, you know, you can just enforce it wherever you need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you guys repeat after us. I'm not doing that because I don't want to. That was exactly awesome. Magic, this conversation has just been so rich and so awesome. Thank you so much for being with me and being a guest on this, on my show. I'm it just you, ah, so many. You've expressed so many amazing things, and I just, I'm sure there are just so many jewels of wisdom that people can take from this. So, how do people get in touch with you?
1: The best way is on our website. So, it's www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. We mm-hmm. are an Australian company, and that's holistic with a W in front of yep. us. So, there you will find our blogs. The blogs are really juicy and some great stuff, and we will pu- put a, a blog up soon about being an empath. Uh, we have all of our podcasters linked up there, all of our socials links are there. So we're on Instagram and Facebook, but the, yeah, the best place is the website. You'll also find a book now button on the services page, which takes you to our root cause analysis, mm. and that is our free gift to everyone around the world and i was going to say it's a 17 page intake i think i've only just now added another five pages to oh it oh my goodness <laughs> it's uh it's a lot but it's really important from that we can define what your root cause of illness is and you know we can have a zoom call or a phone call depending on where you are in the world and uh, we can give you the root cause findings of some health issues that you might be facing some people we will offer to work with some people we won't we'll just give the information a smile and send you on your way yeah because I'm not doing that because I don't want to I'm not doing that because I don't
0: want to absolutely
1: seriously sometimes we're not a great fit and we'll just let you know of that yeah you know we're going to give you as much information as we can but yeah that root cause analysis complimentary to everyone so jump on to www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au.au.
0: .au. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Magic. This has just been such a rich conversation. I hope that everybody who's listening has gotten as much out of it as I have. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. And, and thank you so much for your listeners and for you for having me.
0: Oh, just such a delight. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please, help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then, join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And, until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please, don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.